I want you to give a real big warm welcome. You're going to love this. If you're in for a great morning, I want you to give a real big warm welcome to Brad Tate. Here we go. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> Edward Norton is your pastor. That's awesome. Awesome. That's so cool. Like new people are like, Edward Norton just introduced Bob Marley. This is the best church ever. <laughs> coming back show up Sunday that's going to be amazing uh, so excited to be here um, I'm glad that be, uh, Dave invited me my name's Brad uh, Tate like he said I'm a teaching pastor at 242 Community Church uh, which is a, a relatively newer church plant in southeast Michigan about 10 years old uh, your guys' church I don't know if maybe you're aware of this uh, community helped get us started your dollars, your coaching, your leadership, your resources uh, got us off the ground, and we're now running close to 5,000 people between our two campuses on the weekends. And it's just awesome seeing what God is doing you know, through everybody, and how your church is blessing our church, and we're in turn blessing other churches, and how it uh, truly is a movement of God is taking uh, place. Uh, I'd like to know a little bit more about me. Um, I'm married. I've been married for 14 years. Uh, I have two little girls, uh, Bella, who's six, uh, Sabrina, who's four, and uh, they're, just, uh, they're just bad, just bad kids, really. Uh, no, no they're, they're great. I love them. I, I love what I do. I love teaching, and I love being able to come around places like this and share with you guys, because this is not where I thought my life would end up. Um, you know, I was not raised in church. Maybe some of you are, you know, uh, familiar with that. I was not raised going to church. I wasn't raised aware of the Bible. Uh, I never had flannel graph stories. And uh, so I remember, you know, reading the Bible for the first time. Uh, I mean, I remember I actually opened up these words and just, you know, reading through them. And, and here's what happens to me. And this is the way my mind works is when I read things, I just, I cannot help but just visualize and, and, and put myself there and, I think sometimes what we do as a disservice to ourselves is we read the Bible too fast. Or we read it in kind of like just like a sleepwalk, kind of like haze, because like we're just so familiar with like how things sound. Uh, and in particular, I'm thinking about this series that you guys are doing, it's Thy Kingdom Come, right? Which is part of the Lord's Prayer. And I don't know if you've ever like just yeah, slowed down and like read the Lord's Prayer, uh, but there's one part in particular uh, that stands out to me. And I almost can't even say it with a straight face. It's, it's the part where, where it comes to, and, you know, that kingdom done, that will be done. And then it says, and give us this day our daily bread. Now, maybe you've said those your, your whole life, and you said, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, here's my problem with that. I don't care. Uh, you know, like, I don't know if you felt that way. Like, like, I don't think we live in a time or a place where we are really concerned with our daily bread as a culture. Right? I, I, I used to live downtown Cincinnati. I used to live downtown Cincinnati. I used to engage with a lot of people who were homeless living on the street. I learned very early on in my experience in downtown Cincinnati uh, that a lot of the homeless people did not care about their daily bread. I don't know if you had this experience. I was walking, uh, going to get a burrito at Chipotle. I saw a homeless person outside of Chipotle. I'm like, I'm going to do the Lord's work and spread Chipotle. Right? <laughs> And so I, I bought a Chipotle burrito, and, and I don't know what the homeless person's, what, you know, what their spice tolerance is. So I got mild. That's what you do as a human being, right? And so I, I gave them a, a burrito. I'm like, here, sir, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a burrito. And, and <laughs> he looks at me. What, what kind of salsa did you get? <laughs> I said, mild. And he goes, I don't like tomatoes. 
you don't like to... I believe you're being a little bit too choosy when you are out here literally begging. And I think per our agreement, beggars cannot be choosers. This is not, <laughs> this is not how this is supposed to work. But it's kind of like where we live. We live in, in, in where, where food is. It's just around. And even if you people are, even some of us in our most destitute place, we believe we'll get our daily food. We believe we'll get our fed. And, and food for us, for most things, it's not even about sustenance. Food is entertainment. It's just an entertainment thing. In fact, we have a whole food network. I don't know if you watch food shows. Uh, I am a huge MasterChef fan. Do we have MasterChef fans in the room? Yes. I love watching MasterChef. But here's where I, I'm reading the Bible. Give us this day our daily bread. And then I'm watching MasterChef. Where they're opening up a pantry of like all the best ingredients flown in from all over the world. This top line tuna and, and beef and all this stuff. And the, the, these people, these, these, these poor people, they run in, they grab everything and they throw it in their basket and they take it back and they work. They cook and they're sweating and bleeding and they're, they're trying and they make the most perfect meal that they could possibly make within that hour. Then Gordon Ramsay walks up. Look at that. Look at that. Look at the sear on that steak. That is perfect. Look at those heirloom tomatoes. Oh, oh let, me, let me cut into this. Oh, the seasoning is fabulous. It's per- oh, the cook, great, perfect temperature, perfect temperature. And then he takes one bite and proceeds to throw the entire plate of food away. He's like, that's awesome. Right? If I was that contestant, I'm like, can I get a doggy bag? Can I have that? I worked really hard for that. Um, we, just, we don't value food the same way the rest of the world does. In fact, I, I mean, it, honestly, I don't know if you've seen like the infomercials, if you've seen like the, the you know, with you know, people in destitute need all around the world. If we shot one of those for America, it would look so different. In fact, I know Community made one of those videos a long time ago, and I asked them, I was like, do you still have that video? Because I, I think we need to see that again. Can we bring a, a blast from the past? And so I just want to share this video with you guys. seen a place like this before, have you? But every day, children like Michelle here come home to their relatively affluent neighborhoods to find loneliness, solitude, and quiet desperation. You may be wondering, how can such an overly privileged child be so sad? And what does that have to do with me? I'm glad you asked. For years, we've been taking you to places like this and showing you the heartbreak. The children whose only mistake was being born into such incredible blessing. Nobody died here last night, but these children are dying of boredom. Take Maxwell here. His first generation iPhone is already obsolete. Doesn't he deserve more gigabytes? And Julia here is playing rock band. Regular old rock band, when the new Beatles rock band has been out for weeks. And when Michelle gets home from all of her after-school activities, she needs a snack. But all Mommy has for her is a healthy piece of fruit. Hasn't she earned something deep-fried? This is the American dream. But in this economic downturn, 
You can never make enough money. So work harder. Make more money. And give it all to your own children. True charity starts at home. And children who get everything they want will become adults who get everything they want. Please don't send us any money. Don't call any 800 numbers on the bottom of your screen. But to learn more, visit us at feedmyownchildren.org. Face it, you can't make a difference in the world. The best you can do is to feed your own children. Ouch, right? Oh, I love it. But here's what's true. Hunger may not be our issue for everyone in this room. But it's someone's issue. Globally, there are 795 million people who live in extreme poverty. Talking less than a dollar a day. We're talking days without eating between meals. This is their reality. In fact, even in, the, in America alone, in 2013, it was, the number was 49 people in the United States of America live in extreme poverty. And are you aware... 812,000 people in Cook County live in extreme poverty. Where, where if they were to say the words, Lord, give me this day my daily bread, those would be words of absolute desperation. Those would be words of absolute just of hopelessness, of just a lifeline reaching for someone to help them. And here's what I was convinced of. I don't know that I personally could say those words and feel like I need them. But what I do know is somebody needs them. And here's what I absolutely believe is true. Just because hunger may not be your problem that you endure, doesn't mean it's not your problem to solve. If we are going to be men and women who are trying to be more like Christ, if we're going to be men and women who are trying to be followers of Christ, then we have to care about the things that God cares about. And when the kingdom of God comes to its fruition, when the will of God is done, no one goes hungry. So if we're going to be serious about our faith, if we're going to be serious about living this out in our world, then we have to be serious about in the context in which we live, what can we do to allow everyone to have their daily bread. And so the question is, what does that look like? What did that look like in the Bible? What does that look like for us today? And so for, for my time today, what I want to do is I want to look like a section of scripture. It's John chapter six. Uh, if you have a Bible, a Bible app, you can pull that out to John chapter six. If not, we're going to put some of the slides on the screen, but I just want to read this to you because I want you to see how Jesus interacts with hunger. John six picks up. We'll, uh, It says this, after this, Jesus crossed to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs and and as he healed the sick. So then Jesus climbed a hill. He sat down with his disciples around him. Now, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus soon saw a crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed these people? And I love it. So he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. So Philip replies, well, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, there's a young boy 
who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? And then watch what Jesus does. Tell everyone to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same thing with the fish, and all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted, unlike Gordon Ramsay. That's not in there. It's in the Greek. Okay, anyway. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps. And they left the people, and the scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. You see, when the will of God is done, no one goes hungry. I love this story. I love what's going on in this story. I love it when you actually slow down and you read this story. You find there's like this one verse in it. It's like almost a throwaway verse. It's verse four. It says this. It says, it was nearly the time for the Jewish Passover celebration. It's interesting that this is when this is taking place. Because for any Hebrew person who was in seeing this and experienced this firsthand, particularly any Hebrew person who was hearing this story in the first century for the first time, the fact that this took place around the same time of the Passover would have been profound. Because what the Passover represented was a season. It represented a time where the nation of Israel, the people of God, were leaving captivity. They were going to the promised land, but they found themselves in great need. You want to talk about your daily bread? They had nothing to eat. Wandering in the desert. Exodus chapter 16 talks about this time. It says that that when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost was on the ground and appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they didn't know what it was, but, but what it was was like bread. It was like thin, flaky bread. It was like baklava from God, right? It was like these thin flakes of frost, and they were great. And like the Israelites, like, the Israelites ate this, and they only got a daily amount. And whatever they tried to store was spoiled, and they had to, each day, they had to wait for their daily, literally, their daily bread. And so here is God, who has his people in a place of uh, destitute, the people in a place where they have absolute need, the people in a place where they do not have their daily bread. So God provides their daily bread. And you fast forward thousands of years, almost the exact same time. Once again, there's a crowd. But thousands of people who don't have bread. So God provides, but it's different this time. It's different this time. It's not frosted flakes on the ground. He takes a simple offering and he distributes it to all the people. You see, God did what he always does. And I believe God can still do it today. Now, here's the thing. You may be here today. Maybe you came with a family member, a friend. Maybe you're checking this whole church thing out. And maybe you're kind of skeptical of God. And maybe like you're thinking to yourself, well, if God could feed his people, if God could make sure, if, if his will is that everybody would have their daily bread, then why don't they? In the world that we live in with extreme poverty, with millions of people, hundreds of thousands in our city alone, why don't they have their food that they need? 
And I just want to point out two things that, two questions I think we have to ask ourselves. And we have to be honest with ourselves in this issue. Notice in the New Covenant, in the New Testament here, when Jesus is feeding, notice where the food comes from. And notice how it gets to the people. Where does the food come from? How does the food get to the people? Someone had to sacrifice. Some, the food came because someone had to believe that Jesus is who he says he was, that he could do what he says he could do. Someone had to have enough faith in Jesus that they literally gave their resources. They literally gave their meal. They gave what they were counting and hoarding and keeping for themselves, and they gave it to the Lord. Somebody had to give. And then how did the food get to the people? Mark, in his account, he, he tells us in detail how it got to the people. It says, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves, the two fish, and looking up to the heavens. He, talking about Jesus, gave thanks, broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples distributed it to the people. How did the food get to the masses? The people of God. The followers of God, the doers of God's will, distributed the food to those who were hungry. And so I think about what does that look like for us today? Because here's what I I know is true. In the world we live in, we do not have a food problem. The, the rate in which we can, we can uh, produce food, it far outnumbers the rate in which people uh, produce in this world. We do not have a food problem in our world. What we do have is a distribution problem. What we do have is a greed problem. And that may not, and hunger may not be the problem that you face, but that does not mean it's not the problem that you are called to solve. And maybe you need to get on the solution side of getting over our greed and playing a role and getting the resources to the places where they need to be in the hands of the people who so desperately are reaching out for help. I believe that is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. That is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. That is what it means for you and for me practically today in this world to live out the will of God in our lives. And here's why I'm even more convinced this is something we need to do. There's a great book. It's uh, written by Scott Todd. Um, it's called Fast Living. And, and, and this may be a great book for you to read yourself. But, but in this book, he talks about the, the ultra-rich. Uh, he talks in particular about Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett gave this challenge to the billionaires of the world. He said, would, would you please give half of your wealth away? Like, like when you die, when you pass, would you give half your wealth to charity? Would you give half your wealth to feeding people? Would you give half your wealth to doing this And what's amazing is up to this point, 167 billionaires have chosen to do this. They said, yeah, we'll we'll do this. 137 billionaires said, yes, we will give away our wealth. And so, you know, know, by the year 2020, as they do this, probably we could have like 30 billion dollars just given back to philanthropy, given back to helping people, giving back to helping people have their daily bread, which is an amazing amount of money. In that book, Todd talks about how much money it would take globally to change extreme poverty. Like the people who live on less than a dollar a day, people who are eating, you know, like every other day. To, to really impact these people, that we would need about $78 million, or billion. Dollars. $78 billion would, would touch that. It would, it, would, it would cure that. 
And I don't know about you, but I think about that number. I'm like, y'all rich people need to get going. Y'all now, give your money. But then the problem was, I read on. And then Scott, uh, Todd, uh, started talking about you and me. He started talking about the Christians in America. The 138 million people who claim to be followers of Christ, who claim to be disciples of Christ, the 138 million people who claim to bring about God's will in this world. And here's what he says. If we all gave 10% to the church, to the kingdom of God, as God calls us to do, we would on average raise about $250 billion per year. And I don't know about you, but I hear that and I get convicted because I see that when people go hungry, it matters to God. And even though that may not be the problem I endure, that doesn't mean it's not my problem to solve. And if I am called to be a follower of Christ, I'm going to be in the game and I'm going to be living this out. Then if I'm keeping my resources from this, that I am being part of the distribution problem in this world. So for you, maybe that's a next step that you need to wrestle with. Maybe that's the next step that you need to think about is what does it look like for you to truly trust your local church, to truly trust this congregation? Because I can tell you firsthand, when you give to community, you are giving to the kingdom of God. You're giving to a great church planting organization who started our church, and we started a church in Haiti. We're starting another church in Poland. When you give, God exponentially multiplies it and uses it for his kingdom when you give to the kingdom of God. For some of you, maybe that's your step. For others, maybe Maybe your step is going to be different. But I do believe God's calling each of us to give something. So the question really is, what what can you give? What can you give that may be outside of the box for your life? I'll give you three examples just off the top of my head. What What would it look like if you were to really start paying attention to the end of the month? That sounds weird, doesn't it? Can I just tell you, as someone who was raised a good portion of my childhood by a single mother, someone who was raised with very humble means, and someone who knows what it is to watch the anxiety, the desperation of a parent who cannot provide for their children. The end of the month can be a terrifying time for many families. Maybe you need to open your eyes to the people around you. Open your eyes to the people who work near you, the people who commute with you. Maybe you need to open your eyes and see that the end of the month is a time where people need have needs. And maybe if, if you're in a, in, in a mode of blessing, maybe if you have like a line item where you just like, you like to leave big tips or you like to do things for, for the people, maybe you just need to intentionally do it at the end of the month knowing that that is when so many people are in great need. Maybe that's your step. For some of you, you're like, I, might, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know anybody in poverty. I don't know anybody who, who really is hungry. Uh, I see a lot of young people in the, in the room here. Maybe what you can do is start tutoring. Start tutoring students. Start tutoring other people. Because, A, what you're doing is you're helping with their education. You're helping them to provide for themselves as they get older. But it's amazing when you go over and sit down with someone and go over their math work week after week. And they just don't want to do math anymore. And they start talking about life. And you can get to know that person. And you can really help them. And for some of you, maybe, maybe you, you have the means. Maybe you have the, you're a business owner and you could provide jobs. You could provide income. You could provide training for someone. Maybe that is what you need to do. Or 
maybe for a lot of us in this room, we need to go straight on the front lines. One thing I love about community is that this is a church that definitely puts their money where their mouth is. This is a church that doesn't just that care about you know, just this neighborhood. It cares about the whole world. And, and community has been involved with a, a mission in the Philippines and, and blessing people in the Philippines. And particularly an organization called Facing the Children. I don't know if you've heard of Facing the Children, but this is something that this is so passionate about because we believe that these children have value in the kingdom of God and that no one should go hungry. So last year, we did a big compassion push, and some of you were here when we did that. We, we put in front of you 400 children who needed adopted, 400 children who needed sponsored, and, and, and we sponsored every single one of them. Uh, you can clap for that. So maybe what you need to do is get on the front line and be involved with that again. Now, here's what we have. We don't have 400 children this time. We have 30. And some of you are just like, oh, I got that. Here's what, what, can I, what do you need? Here's a checkbook, right? Here's the deal. We have 30 children, but these aren't just your normal Compassion International children. For, so a Compassion child, some of them still have parents. Some of them still have resources. Some of them still have means. And, and your money subsidizes that. So you can, you can sponsor a Compassion child for about $36 a month. But these children, these are orphans. These 30 children have nothing. And when the Lord says, give us this day our daily bread, that may not mean anything to you, but it means everything to them. And what it costs to sponsor these children is $200 per child because they have no other means of support. Now, a room this size, I know some of you are like, I, I, I can't do that, Brad. I can't. I get it. But maybe we can join together as a church, as one body, and you could give 10, and you could give 20, and you could sign up for 30, and we could bind that together for a child, and we could raise that money for that child. But some of you in this room, you could absolutely do $200. Some of you spend that on a date night. And if we are going to be followers of Christ, I mean, some of you, you, you may pick up two or three of these kids. But what all I know is this. When the kingdom of God comes to its fruition, when the kingdom of God is in this world, no one goes hungry. And what I love about this church is that this is a church that we just don't want to sing songs or hear sermons. We want to live out the kingdom of God where we are. And so my question that I'll leave you with is just this. What is your next step to be a part of that? Would you pray with me? Father, I got to come before you. Father, I thank you so much for your words, Father. I thank you so much for the challenge that you put before us, God. I thank you so much that you use us, that we get to be a part of your kingdom, be a part of blessing people, that we get to be a part of what you are doing in this world. We get to be your hands and feet. So God, I pray that you would use us. God, I pray that that you would spark in us, Father, the desire to be a blessing, the desire to be men and women of hope, the desire to be followers of you. And God, for anyone in this room who is skeptical, Father, for anyone in this room who has doubts, God, I pray that maybe this will be the first step that they would see that you are real and you are really with us. And God, I pray for everyone in this world that you would give them this day their daily bread. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.